I want to do two things in this uh, <clears throat> time that we have together tonight. I want to uh, pick up a little bit from what Wes was teaching this afternoon and uh, also uh, continue on a little bit with what Trudy was teaching last night. And I want to talk to you a little bit and then I want for us all to uh, do a meditation practice based on what I'm going to teach about. So, uh, I, uh, since Wes ended with a poem, I'll begin with a poem. Uh, this is a poem by Billy Collins, former Poet Laureate of uh, the United States. The name of the poem is another reason why I don't keep a gun in the house. The neighbor's dog will not stop barking. He's barking the same high rhythmic bark that he barks every time they leave the house. They must switch him on on their way out. <laughs> the neighbor's dog will not stop barking. I close all the windows in the house and put on a Beethoven symphony full blast, but I can still hear him muffled under the music, barking, barking, barking. And now I can see him sitting in the orchestra, his head raised confidently as if Beethoven had included the part for the barking dog. When the record finally ends, he is still barking, sitting there in the oboe section, barking, his eyes fixed on the conductor who is entreating him with his baton while the other musicians listen in respectful silence to the famous barking dog solo, <laughs> the endless coda that first established Beethoven as an innovative genius. <laughs> so uh, I love that poem. And um, I, I think it's an elegant representation of two particularly human qualities. When Wes spoke this afternoon about the fact that we are so much like everything else that is, and in fact, so much a part of everything else in this created world. And the part that seems particularly extra about human beings is the extra part of this brain that allows us to have both the potential for restraint we are instinctual animals and given to impulsive response. But we have the power for re to exercise restraint. And we have, I believe, an innate propensity for empathy. For those of us who are born with normally functioning nervous systems and who have a reasonably good caretaking in their early years. We are empathic animals. We care about other people and their situation. And we cry in movies about not even real people. We worry in supermarkets when we hear a crying baby two aisles over. I remember my, when my granddaughter was seven or eight uh, she wrote a, uh, an essay for school, an autobiography about herself. 
I'm, my name is Grace, I do this, I do that, I play the flute. I worry that my rat might be lonely. <laughs> and I love that so much that, that as, as, as empathic animals, we impute to even rats, everybody, all beings, that they might have feelings like us, and if they were lonely, we would feel badly about it. It's an extraordinary thing. I find it so remarkable that we can care for each other, even when we don't know each other. I think that we do that instinctively, and particularly when the mind is in some state of relative balance and ease itself. Trudy was talking last night about the quality of uh, loving-kindness, of goodwill. I think we have a natural benevolence that manifests when we're at ease and our own needs are relatively satisfied. Both our physical needs and our minds are at ease. I was very interested in uh, um, Wes's uh, contribution this afternoon about that the default position of the human mind is I want. Um, I, I immediately thought of the parallels to the 23rd Psalm that uh, suggests, uh, for me anyway, that a representation of peace is I shall not want. Uh, I think the Hebrew actually makes it even clearer that neediness, desire, craving won't be there. Not actually because my needs are taken care of, just because the mind isn't in a wanting mode. And mostly what we want is we want when we want, is we want something to be different. We feel like we need to have something different. We need to be rid of something or we need to have something. We need to change something about our situation. That there's something about this moment that is not sufficient unto itself. But that it's possible to feel not only moments, but periods where we feel reasonably at ease and not needy. And that in those periods, we uh, actually are available to connect with not only other human beings, but other beings of all kinds, rats even, and care about the environment as well. When uh, Wes was talking this afternoon about that uh, we and the green life out there are, in a sense, giving each other artificial respiration all the time, breathing into each other. I was thinking about what a miracle it is that uh, as long as these lungs stay viable and the planet stays viable, that they can do that with each other. I was thinking about how much uh, the awareness of our interconnectedness, for me anyway, um, in a not distant way, connects how does my spiritual practice connect with my desire to recycle? It's not such a far reach. If I'm really clear that I breathe because those trees are there, then I need to really keep in mind is at least how it works for me. And I think that my experience is that when my mind is relaxed, it responds to my life 
in a way that uh, is uh, specific in three different ways. Um, there are three different permutations of equanimity, is what I would say. First of all, I'm calling equanimity that balance, that equipoise in the mind that uh, really is reasonably at ease, reasonably at ease. And equanimity, at least as it's used in Buddhist teaching, does not mean tranquility, it doesn't mean calm necessarily, it doesn't mean um, neutrality, it means the ability to hold itself steady, really like equanimity and a balance. And uh, Wes spoke this afternoon about uh, really having those insights into connectedness with all things, being dependent on equanimity in the mind, from which we suddenly realize, yes, yes, my very breath is connected to everything. My being is connected to everything. There's a way in which if I were drawing equations, you know how in chemistry there are equations that are, have arrows in it, that they, the, this and this goes that way. And I particularly think about uh, the, the uh, equations where there are uh, reverse arrows. They go this way and this way. And this and this promotes this, makes this, creates this. But this also, in a reverse way, is in a stable equilibrium with what's here. Reverse arrows. And I think the reverse arrows in my mind about equanimity and wisdom is that the state of equanimity some relative poise in the mind is the state that's pregnant with uh, the possibility of insight. It is from that state that we look around and we say, wow, look at that. It's all connected. Wow, look at that. When I struggle with what I can't change, I suffer. Wow, look at that. That's the basic human condition, isn't it? Everybody's got that. Wow, everybody just like me wants to be happy. When my mind is relatively balanced, I can remember that. Everybody, just like me, wants to lie down in peace and wake up in peace. Everybody has their individual pack, uh, individual corner of the legacy of suffering that we all have just because we're living organisms trying to keep ourselves comfortable in a con constantly changing set of circumstances with some big challenges and some not-so-big challenges. But we're working all the time to keep ourselves comfortable. And I think that, 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 that equanimity leads to that wisdom that leads to the general uh, expression of kindness that human beings do. And that the expression of kindness leads to equanimity. It makes us content, keeps us happy. So I think it's one of those equations with two arrows. And I think there are three permutations of equanimity because there are three kinds of situations that we encounter in our life. There are millions of situations that we encounter in our life. But if uh, you think about it, really this is the second foundation of mindfulness. Wes talked about it, I did the other day, that fundamentally there are three kinds of situations. There are situations which we might call neutral, not upsetting to the mind situations. And there are situations that delight the mind and are interesting or exciting or might call them attractive experiences. 
And then there are um, experiences that come along that are challenging. They're not attractive. They cause the mind to startle and move, o- move away from them. And I think that the three ways that we respond to those kinds of situations out of a base of equanimity, and really in my mind with more arrows, I see equanimity leads to, it leads to uh, caring in those three forms, leads to friendliness in reasonably neutral situations, friendliness and uh, generalized goodwill. It leads to compassion and consolation in situations that are difficult. And it leads really to appreciation in situations that are startlingly desirable. I just want to say just a little bit more about them. Because last night when we did the practice with, um, with Trudy, we expressed generalized goodwill. May I feel safe. May I feel content. May I live with ease. There are actually um, standard and traditional phrases that people often practice in the text, uh, translated into English, and uh, they're in, usually in four sets, for a wish for safety, a wish for contentment, a wish for strength or health in the physical body, a wish to live with ease. And sometimes people, um, contemporary people practicing, don't like so much the, the um, ancient language, and they say more contemporary words that suit them more, but actually make the same point. May I feel safe? May I feel happy or content? May I feel uh, strong or healthy? May I live with ease? But they're not actually suitable phrases for every kind of situation. They're suitable phrases and wishes for situations that are neutral. Um, I practice them a lot. They are and were a big part of my practice. And so I have songs that I sing to myself with those phrases. I have different phrases, sets of phrases that I sing with different songs. But just to give you some sense of the what's a neutral situation, I'd like you to imagine for a minute the situation when you, uh, uh, you're doing a, a, a red-eye flight from uh, Los Angeles to Boston or uh, an overnight flight from the United States to Europe. It's a long, many hours in the dark. You walk, you get up from your seat and you walk up the plane uh, to go to the toilet and you see people strewn all over the place and scrunched and looking so uncomfortable and trying either to lean on the person they're traveling with if they're traveling with someone or trying not to lean on the person if they're not traveling with them trying so hard to make themselves comfortable. Someone always has a baby and they're rocking, standing in the aisle and patting and rocking them. And you don't know anybody in the plane and you walk from the front to the back and I feel a tremendous companionship with them. Like we're all doing this together and I don't know them. I'm not afraid of flying so my mind is usually quite at ease. And I find that quite naturally I wish them well. I might be thinking phrases, may you be happy, may you be peaceful, may you live with ease. I might just be feeling connected to them in a friendly way with no, no phrases, just a general uh, feeling of connection 
to the awareness that we're all in this boat together. And I want them to get there safely. In a certain sense, of course I do, because I want to get there safely. <laughs> but I, th I think in a larger metaphor, everybody in this world is traveling on a journey. It's like a, this whole world is like a big spaceship hurtling through space. And everybody wants the same way as I do to have a safe journey. And for everybody, the journey is rocky. They have turbulence in it. And to look around and really get it, that everybody's got turbulence in their lives. And when I really realize that everybody does, one way or another, you look at them, sometimes you can see what people's burdens are on the outside, because they have some obvious way that they're really having difficulty doing this life. But everybody has the hidden ways in which they have difficulty doing their life. And out of that awareness, to really look around and say, wow, it's heroic that anybody gets out of bed in the morning, really. And it's out of that, really, compassion. Because I think it's all compassion practice. That we can wish in a really easy way, may you be well, may you be safe, may you feel strong, may you live with ease, may you know contentment. Any of those phrases, you could use the phrases that are traditional or not. You don't even have to use a phrase. Just We'll do an, an exercise later where I hope you'll think about people in your life. And if their situation is one of just everyday challenge, not special challenge, maybe you'll be able to make those wishes for them. It's true, though, that not everyone that we think of or come upon in our life is in a neutral situation. Sometimes there are situations that are really dismaying and startling, and people are in pain. Or there are a lot of psychotherapists here, and that's a lot of listening to and working with people and in pain, and a lot of physicians here. There are lot, all people here, and so we all encounter people in pain. And the experience of most of us, certainly for me, is when I encounter pain quite suddenly, it startles me. When I'm startled, I realize that uh, my equanimity has been a little bit shaken. I thought about it. I was, I was in New York, and I was on a corner where a, 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 a taxi cab ran into a pedestrian, ran screeching brakes, and not that far from me. And in front of me was a family, and one of them said, uh, one of the two children said, um, I'm frightened. And the other one said, I want to go home. And uh, the father said, you see, I told you, you're supposed to watch when you go out in the street. And the other parent said, um, we have to wait here until help comes. And everybody was calling on their cell phone. And I thought to myself, I thought all those things. I'm frightened. I wish I were home. Uh, I have to be more careful stepping in the street. And I care about this person. It's a startling thing. I think all the time we're called upon to meet a challenging situation that startles the mind. My own sense of my ability to really feel my um, a genuine compassion for whatever or whoever is hurt is to notice that I've been upset. 
if I were tracking my mindfulness, I would be saying to myself, I'm frightened, I wish I weren't here, but I am here. I'm sorry this happened, I'm really distressed. Take a breath in, take a breath out. Okay, I'm really glad this didn't happen to me. Whoa, that wasn't so noble, okay. (laughs) Take another breath. These things happen, take a breath, okay. Thinking about this person, may you be supported in your discomfort, may help come soon, may you be all right. I line that all up for you because I feel very sure that it's not so possible to have genuine feelings of real connected empathy with people unless they come through one's own comfortable mind. And I really need to catch catch my balance before I do that. You'll notice in that lineup of things that I said, whoa, I wish I wasn't here, that was ignoble. Okay, that's fine, that's fine, just take a breath. Of course you wish that, take a breath, take another breath, you're okay. Now, may you be supported in your difficulty. Put myself together first. I think that really, compassion comes through equanimity. And the last of the three, permutations of equanimity, is the encounter of the mind with something pleasant. And I think of the hypothetical thing. Someone phones you, and it's your best friend, and they say, listen, I have this great news. I had a job interview today. I got the job. It, it's a tremendous pay raise. I, I will now earn X much more than what I'm earning now. It's just the job I always wanted. And you know what? While I was waiting, I met a person sitting also waiting for another interview. And we went out to lunch together and we fell in love while we were having <laughs> and, and we are going to have the whole rest of our life together. We have already a, a, a date made up for tomorrow and a few more other things in there. And they're your best friends. So you really, really are happy for them. And into the mind comes, so often, Especially if one of those things is something that you'd really like to have. Just a little thought about, I'm glad for you, but you know, I actually wish I would have also the job (laughs) of my dreams. That wouldn't be so bad. And add so much more money than what I'm earning. And I'd like to meet the person of my dreams. You got so many things in one day. That's not so bad. (laughs) And and the truth is, especially if they're your best friend, and even if they're not your best friend, the feeling of envy is very unpleasant. And the startle in the mind is different from the startle when we are dismayed or disgusted by someone gets hit by a taxi or they have a seizure in the street or something terrible happens. Uh, The the startle in the mind is different because it's not the startle of um, aversion, it's a startle of envy or jealousy. It's the pull in the mind. Both of them, somebody said it this morning, it's what do you do when you get this ah immediately in the heart before you think. They're both ah in the heart. This is ah, I wish it wasn't here. And this is ah, I wish I had that. And to be able to notice the pain of jealousy, say, oh, I wish I had that too. 
really that startled me. I'm, I'm envious. Not saying to the other person, saying to myself, envy has arisen. This is painful. I wish I didn't have it. I love this person. It's not my turn. It's her turn. Things happen this way. Take a breath, sweetheart. Now, may you be supported in your good fortune. I'm really excited for you. May you be thrive in this job, in this relationship. So I tell you those both, and I tell you all the moments in between, just to tell you that when, uh, if you decide to practice the pleasure of um, contacting the natural goodwill that's part of our, I think, genetic makeup, to really leave space for the moments of equanimity that reestablishes wisdom in the mind, that allows genuinely for the connection of compassion and appreciation and true friendship. So I hope that makes sense to you. And so we could sit and we could do an exercise now. By the way, what I didn't say about all of them, Trudy said it last night, so I'll tell you again, that those four, those four mind qualities, equanimity, and the three permutations of equanimity, friendliness and compassion and um, appreciation, are, um, are put together in a, are a group of mind states called uh, the Brahma Viharas. She did say a Vihara is a place that you live, it's a dwelling place. And uh, Brahma is the Hindu word for God. And it means it's a heavenly place to live. It's a divine abode. And, uh, and that they are uh, cultivatable. That they are the natural part. Uh, they're somehow keyed into us as part of our natural response pattern as human beings, as empathic animals, and that they come out and express themselves when our minds are in a place of relative ease that sustains wisdom. The wisdom sustains the ease, and the ease sustains the wisdom, and the ease produces the ability, allows for the, those three states to manifest. So I would suggest that we do this. <clears throat> Maybe take the four simple wishes that uh, Trudy suggested last night. She said it in the eye. So maybe when you do it, you can do it a few times for yourself. May I feel safe, may I feel happy, or may I feel content if you like that better. May I feel strong. I like to do that. May I live with ease. You can leave off the may I, by the way. You can say safe, happy, strong, filled with ease. Safe, happy, strong, filled with ease. Might even actually be easier if you just did that. And I would do it for a few minutes, just for yourself. 
And then I suggest um, maybe let's do it this way. I'll, I'll, I'll leave it to you to decide. You can do it a little bit for yourself. And then invite people into your mind one at a time. I suggest that you start with people who are close to you and, and wish it for them. You can imagine them in your mind's eye. And you don't have to say may you. You don't have to say anything. You can feel safe and wish them safe. Safe, happy, strong, filled with ease. And here comes this part of this member of your family and that member of your family and this friend and that friend. And then maybe here comes someone who's in a really difficult state at this point with, with whatever difficult state. You'll notice that it doesn't resonate so much, those particular phrases perhaps. And also when you call them into your mind, that the mind might startle a little bit because of their difficulty. If it startles, take a breath, let it out. Go back to yourself, safe, happy, strong, live with ease. You should then actually be ready to bless them. safe, happy, or with whatever is appropriate. Somebody's sick or hurting. May your pain be eased. May your suffering be less. May your suffering soon end. Sometimes I say to myself, and it balances my mind, everything that arises passes away. And it really steadies me in my ability to connect with that person. And invite some more people in, invite some more people in. Really being alert to the nuance of response of your mind to who you invite in. If you experience, in fact, uh, think of someone who's in some great place and good fortune and you can easily say to them, great, make up your own phrases. This is great for you. I rejoice in your happiness. May it continue. If it's not so easy to do that, go back to yourself, safe, happy, strong, living with ease. Your mind is balanced. You can remember everything happens when it happens. This is happening now in this way. May you be strengthened and sustained in your good fortune. Let's sit with this. Change people every time you feel like it. Invite everybody in.
I hope that was a good experience for you and that you might think about it not only while you're here um, as a uh, and uh, as a possible practice to integrate into your practice of mindful awareness. It is itself a practice of mindful awareness. I think of it as an, an awareness practice, a mindfulness practice about the climate of my heart-mind. It's important to say that not only uh, it sounds in its form as if it's uh, being done for the benefit of other people. When we think about other people and we uh, feel kindly, we hold them in a positive regard, it sounds like it's for their benefit. And perhaps it is. Who knows how it works in this whole cosmic design? But I am absolutely sure that I am the principal beneficiary of my ability to keep myself in a caring connection, an unbroken caring connection with the people that I encounter and have in my life, that I am the principal beneficiary of the ability for my mind to rest in that state of positive regard. It's a great balancer of the mind. As you go through these next days here, if you find that your mind is flurried with a a confusion of any kind. You can always breathe the next breath with clarity and the next breath with clarity, or take the next step with clarity, or wish yourself well with complete focused dedication. They'll all work the same way of collecting the concentration in the mind, restoring equanimity, restoring wisdom, really is a way of feeling connected in the world, not isolated and not lonely, being kept company by everyone else in it. So let's walk for about a half hour and we'll ring the bell and sit one last time tonight. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.